Hi, Brandon. It's so great to talk with you today. Hey, Kara. Thanks for having me. Excited to hang out a little bit. Absolutely. Um, we're here to talk a little bit about your new book, and then it's also kind of a special month for us. We're kicking off our um, new author interview series this month at Off the Page. This month, we're going to be focusing on the concept of the other, which is a big one, I know. I'd love to know um, a little bit about what this broad concept means to you. Oh, wow. You know, when I wrote A Mile Wide, I kind of had the other in mind. I think a lot of times as believers, we have a really strong foundation uh, in thinking about who we are and how we want to worship and how we want to grow in faith, and then it ends up falling a little short, and we get really awkward when we start trying to apply that to the people that maybe are in our circle. And, and you know, in fact, I really kind of break down the idea of not just the other, but I always like to think of it as do we have insiders, we have outsiders, and we have outcasts. You know, and anyone who's not an insider is typically the other, the other person. And I think it's really important. I mean, what it means to me, I, I wrote a little bit about Jesus and his journey right after the Sermon on the Mount. He directly, after he came, came down the mountain, you see him address three different kinds of people. And the first one was someone who's considered an outcast. It was a man with leprosy who came to him, and he healed him. And then after that, it was a, 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 centur- a Roman centurion who was kind of an outsider because he had faith, but he was not Jewish. And then after that, you see him with Peter's mom, who was definitely an insider. And so there's a precedent for us um, as we follow Christ, certainly um, to think about and to move into the other. Um, when, it's, when it remains all about us, it seems like that was, that was kind of the, you know, the struggle for so many people that is from the beginning, even before the cross. And so the gospel changes things, and it invites us into, into going beyond and so, man, the other, of course, that's it. If I was to think about one thing, it's like, where do we really historically have been hung up in the church? It's moving into that space. So I'm glad you guys are tackling it. Thanks. Yeah. Um, can you talk about some people who have gone from being others for you to having faces and names and a space in your life? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think there's two sides to that story. One is the people who were um, the other's that are outside of our circle, and then it's those inside of our circle that we are going shoulder-to-shoulder serving, trying to uh, impact other people. And, you know, we always begin with ourselves and what that, what that looks like. And I think it's funny, you know, we're all wired in different ways, and we have different giftings, and there are some people who are more, um, more gifted towards being sent. While we're all called to be sent, there are those that it comes more naturally to be a missionary or someone who's always out there with their neighbors and things like that. Then there are others that are gifted more towards shepherd pastor. And so that creates a lot of confusion a lot of times. We are not really settled in our identity, uh, who we are in Christ, and it impacts how we then, um, how do we then go out. And, you know, it's changed for me over the years because I think most believers would say that anyone who does not believe at one point or another, they would call those people others. But reality is I've struggled before with saying, hey, anyone not Baptist is, is others because I grew up Southern Baptist or anyone not conservative uh, mm-hmm. is an other for me because I grew up conservative, really any, anyone uh, but me. But, you know, this idea of being sent, and, you know, honestly, that's what Jesus did. The incarnation was Jesus was sent to us, right? He put on skin. He moved into our neighborhood. He has this rhythm of constantly reorient, reorienting himself around people 
and going towards them and not expecting them necessarily to come to us. And for us specifically, it started with kind of the easy crowd that we saw in town is when we thought, how do we do this? We started with the homeless. Um, a lot of people are there and, you know, I've always thought of the homeless, you know, to be honest, and it's embarrassing now that, you know, you think of them as maybe most of them are pretty, are just lazy or they're on drugs or they don't, you know, these things. And we, we stereotype these groups that, once we started getting into and going beyond just handing someone a sandwich or something like that and talking to people, you discover a, a, a real name and a real story. And maybe their fathers or, or mothers or grandparents, you see people who have, who have gone through some really tough things. And the moment you begin to see that, you begin to see their pain and their need and it starts changing things um, in you. And, um, what happened with us is, you know, we began and serving in that capacity and we started seeing and learning to identify pain in other people or recognizing need in other people. And it went from physical and then you begin to see emotional need, you begin to see spiritual need and it begins to open your eyes um, to need all around us. And that's one of the things I think we have neglected as believers in the church many times is we have, we have neglected working hard to see the need around us outside of spiritual need. We see spiritual need everywhere, right? But where are the places where people are really suffering and they're really hurting, whether it's the poor or whether it's, it's, it's our neighbor? And so some of the people, man, it's been all of the people. Right? It's even gone to myself, you know, to learn to see that. And I think that's what Christ did really well. Even those who were hungry, he looked on the people and he had compassion for them. To learn that I think has been – has been our, our, our journey. Um, but any people group that is not us, I think those are the people that um, have impacted me so much over the last few years. Mm-hmm. There, there are some really great divides in our country and world currently. Uh, what, what would you say are some practical and productive ways you would see for bridging some of the chasms between ourselves and people we uh, disagree with or just people who are different from us? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's huge. I mean, we, when we have an election year, uh, we have political uh, conversations and are so heated. I don't know if I've ever seen a time um, where it's been so charged um, dealing with racism, dealing with um, uh, equality, um, dealing with politics. Um, it's just incredible. And, and, you know, you feel sometimes it's just like you feel like saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to just cut Facebook now. I'm not just not going to go on Twitter until six months from now, you know? And then, honestly, as a believer, you begin, as a human, you start getting, you start getting curious and you start getting a fear of missing out and start, you know. But as a believer, hopefully we start thinking, yeah, but I want to I make a difference. I want to have an impact. I want to do something. But it's interesting because you found, especially with the, the political climate right now, you find yourself with other believers that are friends and people that you really know and family and Thanksgiving and Christmas has been the most awkward for so many people around this country this year mm-hmm. um, because it's people you really care about, you know. And so I, when you think about, you know, bridging, you know, the gaps and, and doing that, first of all, you have to really think about whether or not you want to do that and whether or not it's you or whether or not you recognize that it's our spiritual responsibility. And I mean, when you think about bridging, being a bridge maker, I always go to Matthew 5 when Jesus was giving, you know, the Beatitudes. Really, he was outlining a new kind of disciple. 
and what it would look like and the attitude we would we would have to take in order to be effective in you know bridging you know bridging those gaps and so I always start with, hey, this is theological. This is something we are supposed to be doing. It's not just do we choose to engage that conversation. It's as believers, do we think that the kingdom is advancing in this? Is it something we need to be, you know, thinking about? And then I always go back to myself and I go, okay, what's wrong with me? Why am I so mad? Why does this make me so frustrated? Why do I take this so personal? What's the root? And I have to think about is this scriptural or is this cultural? Is this personal? Is this me? And then I think that guy's wrong, you know, and then I begin to consider the other person. Where are they coming from? Well, you know, what's their agenda? Why is it? Do they know it? Is it willful? Is this being mean? Are they just trying to attack, you know? And, and I think we need then to really think about the question, is this really something that we should allow to divide the kingdom? Is this really an eternal matter? Or is it something that's secondary that is just, you know, maybe, maybe apply to the, of the enemy? Um, I think believers really struggle to stop and think um, that real people are involved and there's real reasons why certain things trigger um, um, them. And, but we just have to make a decision to really seek justice or to seek the kingdom and really think about what our agenda is and what the problem is and set our own personal things aside. It's really hard to do, mm-hmm. um, but it can be done. And in fact, you know, we have... Jen and I have a handful of, of celebrity friends who we actually disagree with politically completely are on the other ends of the spectrum. And um, even the way we've done church, they grew up in a different church environment and different things that we disagree on. But we've just decided that, you know, we've been able to do so much good together and partnering together with organizations around the world that there was a conversation we just had to have and say, hey, is this something we're going to allow to get in the way? And we just said no. There's just mm-hmm. too much if you respect that other person and you care about the advancement of the kingdom and not our own agenda. That's the root of beginning to build bridges and to bring those things together. And, um, you know, but our flesh gets involved. And so to really evaluate where we are, I think, taking an honest look at ourselves, um, that's, the, that's the first and most important part in my mind. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about going deeper into that idea of community. That was something I noticed in your book. Um, but sometimes there's a tension between engaging with people who seem like the other or who you may be struggling with and then forming a community that you feel you can be vulnerable in. So tell me a little bit about your experience kind of walking that line. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, we've really focused the last 10 years of our ministry on that. On you know really thinking through the buzz phrase was always missional community and what that really means and how you know how you really define um, what that is and for us you know I think it starts with just saying hey this is not something that's designed to replace or is better than church you know I think we've just done church incredibly well. And people automatically assume when we start talking about making a community a priority or small groups a priority that we're talking about that instead of the gathering. Um, And so first I want to say that I think it's something that accompanies the gathering. It accompanies that time where we come together and we work, you know, and worship together with other believers. And that gives us space to reposition ourselves towards others. What does that community look like? To be honest with you, if, if it's not about a community that, we want them to leave who they are and come into our space. 
I think mm-hmm. the most effective way to do that is to reposition ourselves to the point where they might, someone else might actually invite us into a space we can never invite ourselves. And when you get into that place, instead of they're the ones that are having to prove themselves to your community, instead you're moving into a space um, where you have to humble yourself and earn the right to be heard. And so um, that's something that takes a long time, and it's a real investment. And, um, uh, but it's just beautiful when it, when it really, when it really happens. So one of the things that you, you say in your book, you quote Paul, um, when he talks about being willing to be all things to all people, what do you think that means and how do you think it applies to our times today? Yeah, I think that's super important. I mean, if you, if you continue to read that scripture, he says he does that for the sake of the gospel that he would share in the blessings of that. Like he understands that the gospel is a redemptive work. It doesn't just, and this is what I write about in the book, A Bigger Gospel. It's not some loosey-goosey, you know, everybody all the time, no matter what, whatever. But it's talking about a gospel that doesn't just save us, but it's a gospel that continues to work in us to transform us. And then the gospel works not in us, not just in us, but through us. And then the gospel then uh, restores. And so, you know, I, I think Paul understood that the gospel is active and that he got to be a part of it. And so, first of all, it was his target. How does it apply today is that, is that it's active and it's working and we're invited into this redemptive story. It's being written and we get to be, you know, a part of that. But the focus of being all things to all people, I mean, Paul was writing the church in Corinth. And if you knew the culture of Corinth back then, I mean, it was, you know, Roman occupation, the Greco-Roman, you know, history and the way idolatry and it, it was wheels off what was going on there. And so Paul was really struggling with, um, you know, the, the old believers, the Jewish believers, when the, when the Roman converts were becoming believers, they, Paul was not making them, you know, go under some of the old law that, you know, Jesus came to fulfill. And so they were struggling with it. So he was teaching them that not all sacred cows are supposed to be there forever and that he changed, he changed the rules. And he, he gets into talking about our freedom a little bit in Christ and how we can loosen up a tad and not, not worry so much about all the rituals and going through all of the motions. And, and he, he also said, be careful not to abuse that freedom. He said, but the reason for that is that others might see truth and that we would you know, become, you know, good news to other people. And so I think how it applies today is for us to realize that it's just not always our exact faith system where God is working, that he's working around us all over the place. And so that allows us a little bit uh, to let down our guard and be a little more vulnerable and, and meet people where they are instead of expecting them to meet us where we are. And you know what that takes? It takes us trusting that the gospel can actually work without us, that we are invited into what the gospel is doing. It's not contingent upon us. It's contingent upon what God has done and what he's continuing to do. So it's a new perspective of, of trust. And um, I think that's what Paul was talking about. I, I really do. Awesome. As, as we begin this new year, we're almost done with this first month. What is your hope for the church and the world? Ah, just the church and the world, huh? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing good. You know, every, I mean, every, yeah, you know, every year you, you go, okay, that was a, 
good year, bad year, great, whatever, we want to do better, right? And I'm always hopeful. I just, I'm so hopeful for the church. You know, at times we look at it and we go, oh, it's going, I'm just hopeful. There's so many different expressions of the bride of Christ and there's so many different personalities. I think the church should be as diverse as our culture anyways. You know, the, the church is always, um, it's shifted throughout the years to speak the language of our culture. So there's always hope if we're willing to change and move along with it, not compromising truth, but there's always hope. And a lot of people think that the church goes through cycles, you know, kind of ups and downs and returns to goes through seasons of legalism and freedom and whatever, and we kind of going back and forth. I think the church is actually maturing. I think it's growing. I think the church is kind of like, um, you know, how when we were, we're young and we don't know anything and then we're struggling with change and then we go – into our 20s when we know everything and everyone else is dumb and we're the only ones that know anything. And then we get into our 30s and we start going, wait a minute, what are we doing with our lives and change our career paths? And then we get into our 40s. And I, I don't know exactly where the church is, but I think it's maturing. And so I'm hopeful. And why I'm hopeful is I'm seeing people ask the right questions, like what you've asked. I think millennials, a lot of people, young believers, and even a lot of the older folks that I'm running into and hang out with, we're starting to ask the, ask the questions of, you know, what do we need to be doing? What's, what's, really, what's really important here? How do, we, how do we become good news to other people? Um, you know, so long, I'm so afraid to even mention that I go to church because my neighbor, I'm afraid they'll never talk to me again or avoid me. And how do we change that? How do we flip that without compromising it? How do we become good news to everyone? And that's what people are asking. And so I think now the church really just needs to press into that. And say, well, let's, let's learn how we did that together. And everyone's looking at the life of Jesus. And that's beautiful because that's the answer. So I'm so hopeful. I'm hopeful that we would really trust, you know, what the prophets talked about in, in our humble posture and loving mercy and seeking justice. And that we really trust in what Jesus talked about in being peacemakers and joining him and, and, and this restoration. And I think it just really means getting over ourselves. You know, if we could just... We could step back, get over ourselves, really seek out what Jesus is wanting to do, and just say, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do too. Um, and stop performing, stop pretending like we have to have it all together. And, and our culture is demanding that anyways. And so I just think that everything is beginning to align. In the middle of all this craziness, things are beginning to align. And we're learning how to live in the tension, knowing the tension is never going to go away. Instead, how do we live among it? How do we glorify God? How do we love each other uh, as we wrestle? Um, so I'm hopeful, you know. I'm hopeful, and there's a lot of people who are hopeful. There's always hope, and I'm excited about what this year holds for us. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today, Brandon. It's been such a pleasure. Of course. I appreciate you asking me. <laughs>